Welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast, created to equip ourselves with insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go and make disciples. Let's dive into this week's discussion. All right, well, hey, leaders, and welcome back to our study through the book of Ephesians. Um, We're kind of just kicking off the beginning of the book of Ephesians, though. We're in a series called Don't Settle as we kind of come to the end of our spring 2021 community season. Uh, My name's Alex. I'm here with Pastor Doug Becker, a pastor of theology. How are you doing today, Doug? I'm doing all right. How's that coffee? Oh, it was delicious. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Good. I'm glad. Glad that you got some. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I feel like it's really going to give me the strength I need to get through the day, without which I would not be able to, uh, you know. For sure. Yeah. Coffee's useful Nor for Nor would anyone else. I'll just drink this stale water that I have over here in, no my, problem. in my mug. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug. So we're in Ephesians 1. Um, this is the end of our community season. We've got this week, and then next week is our final week. And, uh, and so leaders, um, thank you. Hope it wasn't too awkward for you to be standing up in services this past week. Um, but we just want to recognize you guys because you're awesome and we really genuinely appreciate you. And the things that Batesel said, uh, up on stage are absolutely true. We have received emails from folks that are saying that they are here today, um, legitimately because they had a community of people to walk through this pandemic with. And so that's no small matter. And so praise God. Uh, for you guys, praise God for the ability that we have to walk together in community with one another as a church and uh, in the place that we do. And uh, it's awesome. So um, for our study this week, we're looking at verses 15 to 23 in the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, talking a little bit about uh, our need for the Lord to open up the eyes of our hearts, uh, so to speak. So our first section here is called Faith and Love. Uh, a little bit of a review here. So uh, jump into Ephesians 1 verses 15 and 16. Doug, Yes, a little sir. bit of a review here. According to scripture, what is a saint? Yes. We talked about it last week, but mm-hmm. uh, it's especially in our uh, in our area where there are a lot of Catholics, ex-Catholics. It's important to note that a saint is anybody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. All a saint means is uh, one who has been made holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally means holy one. And uh, that is something that... Um, Christ has done, will continue to do, and will perfect one day in us. Awesome. Making us holy, making us gods. You pass. I give Thank you. A plus. Yes. All right, question number two. What two things make Paul give a thumbs up to the Ephesians church, and how do these two things serve as markers for healthy Christianity? Mm. Here in verses 15 and 16. Yeah. So the two things here, right? Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Hence our title for the section. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we got it right in there. If you're <laughs> observant, you can perceive these things. Um, yeah. You know, and... Um, I'm going to ask you to tell that Star Wars joke later, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. Deep cuts. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So the two things, faith and love. Why yeah, are these so, important? Fa- yeah. So so faith and love. So I, as um, was pointed out in the message this week, you know, that doctrine is important. Um uh, that that you know we're we're not just like both of these are important right so like like doctrine without love for other people is dry and hypocritical mm-hmm. whereas love without doctrine is kind of directionless and can lead us into all kinds of random areas that have nothing to do with god 
And so, you know, balancing these things together against one another also kind of reminds me of, you know, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors as yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, you know, here it's faith in Christ, so you might Mm -hmm. maybe make the distinction there, but... So we're drawing a little bit of a of an equal sign of like faith toward uh, I guess knowledge maturity in Christ yeah. a little bit yeah okay. like no no one who knows their stuff about Jesus who does not love others right. should think they're fine right and no one who loves others without you know knowing their stuff although again faith in Jesus is not merely just knowing stuff about him right it's it's directed it's it's, it's trust in him and everything um, so right yeah, see First so Corinthians thirteen. Right? Yeah. If mm-hmm. I have yeah. if I have faith but not love. Yeah. I'm just a clanging symbol. I love that passage. Yeah, noisy gong. Noisy gong. The gong show. <laughs> All right, question number three. Why do you think Paul speci oh I've I've wanted to ask you this, Doug. Why do you think Paul specifies love toward all the saints, right? Quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh shouldn't it be love for all people everywhere? And what difference does this make um practically? You know, wh- why does this matter here, Doug? Yeah. Um so it's it's a little bit tricky, right? Uh, because that 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 is exactly what he says. Is that like I know the the thing that the thing that I'm thankful for. Well, he doesn't specifically say thankful. He says because I've heard of this of your love for the saints. Mm. Okay, so it's not just like love for everyone. And we ran into something similar to this uh, the, when we were going through. I guess it was last fall already, but when yeah. we were going through Matthew. Okay, and if you guys recall, goats in chapter sheep. 25, yeah, there's the, the goats and the sheep, right? That, that at the end of this age, uh, the, the Son of Man will separate the sheep from the goats. And, uh, you know, based on, uh, and to some he'll say, you know, enter into the joy of your master. And to some he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the basis uh, by which Jesus uh, says these things is what you did to the least of these my brothers, you mm. did it to me. And that's in Matthew 25, verse 40. Mm. Okay. And, um, and, and, and that, that's very, I think, intentional. And what I noted back then was that if you look through Matthew, every time that Jesus is referring to brothers, unless he's referring to his literal biological brothers, mm. um, he's talking about disciples. Mm. Um, and even when he refers to his biological brothers, he's also kind of making a point about disciples because he's saying, who are my real brothers? Right, right, right. right. Um, and, um, and so even similar here, right? The love that you've shown towards all the saints, uh, that there's, there's a special love that Christians show to fellow Christians. Mm. Um, this, and that doesn't mean that you don't love other people. Right? That doesn't mean you don't love people who don't know the Lord. Uh, there's plenty in the Bible about that as well. And uh, an analogy that I'll sometimes use is to say, you know, I love my wife and my children more than anyone else's wife and anyone else's children. Sure. Right? And sure. in a different way. Okay. Right. Fair but, enough. But that, that doesn't mean I don't love anyone else besides them. It just mm. means that there's a, a special familial love that I have towards, that, that we have towards one another. And kind of the cool Ephesians flavor to this here is that um, Ephesians, as we continue to go through the book, is a very churchy book. It's very much about like about loving and building this thing called the church okay. that has been, as we've already seen, 
part of God's design from before the foundation of the world, right? To call forth the people, and as we'll see in chapter 2, of both Jew and Gentile, bringing them together as one new man in Christ. And, uh, you know, this mystery that was, is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And so, you know, build, the church needs to build itself up in love and everything like that, right? So here you already have like seeds of those, of that wider argument in Ephesians being planted. And so you can see, so like, I think like the flow of thought is kind of like, look how precious the church is to God. This is not plan B. This is kind of the reason why he created at all, mm. to have a people for his own possession mm. and... um and the, it, this matters so much to God, this is why it should matter to you. And so that's why you express love towards the saints, and that's an important thing, because if you're loving the saints, other Christians, even though that's difficult and messy and frustrating and disappointing, it's also really good, too. Don't want to make it like hmm. it just sucks, right? But right. Um, if you're doing that, then what you're saying is, I love what God cares about, and I love it enough to to inconvenience myself and mm. and to, you know, all the other things that I need to sacrifice and, and die, all the other ways in which I need to die to self in order to love what God loves, namely his people. Mm. It's It demands a little bit of definition too, right? Because the follow-up question is like, so what does that mean? Does that mean that I shouldn't love anyone outside of the church, that I shouldn't show you know, care and, and appreciation and like a genuine desire to want to love and serve others right. outside of that church. Well, of course not. Right. No. And like you said, Doug, it's like, I love the things that God loves, right? God loves uh, his people. God also loves all people right. and calls right. us to them. Like mm -hmm. that's the mission. I mean, yeah. Right? Love your yeah. enemy means nothing if it doesn't yeah. mean love people who are outside the church. Exactly. Right? So like anything less than that, of course, or right. more than that, you could say. Yeah. yeah. I, so I like your analogy because there is, it's almost like a prioritized love here a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I am called to love, let's, you know, I'll go with your example. I'm called to love my wife. I'm called to love my family. I'm called to love my friends. I'm called to love my enemies. Mm -hmm. All of them. But there's a priority to those things. Yeah. My, my first and foremost responsibility is to love the Lord, my God, right? Yeah. And then my wife. And then, you know, my baby boy on the way. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, the brothers and the saints. And then all people to the ends of the earth that God loves. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So he calls me into that ministry. And um, I think that's a healthy way to look at it. Cause yeah. I know a lot of times we look at things. I'm trying so hard not to say binary, but <laughs> we look at things in like in it's either this or that type of way. Like it's, it's either I can only love the saints or I can only love those outside of the church. It's like, no, we're called to both, but there's a priority here. Yeah. Um, the, and, um, the additional thing, too, is that, like, the reason why one would love fellow believers is, like, a very telling uh, thing about your faith, about your discipleship. So, like, in other words, that? like, like why would anyone care about bestowing love specifically on people within the church? Like, the fact that you would care about that says a lot for what the Lord has done in your heart. Oh, I see. He's okay. given you, right, he, like, because uh, when we become Christians, like, one of the things is that the, our values change, mm. right? And the things that we consider important start to shift. Ah, uh, that's a great point. And, yeah. So, when I become a Christian, I'm not just 
Uh, that's a great point. And I, I think that's really important for us to hear as well, because we can we can tend toward becoming extremely consumeristic, mm-hmm. where my faith is my own. Yes, I believe in Christ, and I recognize what he did for me on the cross. Therefore, let me show up every Sunday to a great sermon, and I'll see you again next week. You yeah, know what I mean? no, no, that is yeah. not the life Jesus right. calls us into. You know what I mean? He didn't yeah. die so that we can just have a really convicting sermon every Sunday, you know? Mm-hmm. No, he called us to a family. You know, he adopted us as sons and daughters of God. And and so he, and, you know, from our last week, I think, or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. we talked about that. But he calls us into that family. And so because of that, we should be to one another as brothers or sisters would be. Yeah. You know, I care about you genuinely because you are a part of God's family. And so when you hurt, I hurt. And when you, you know, if you're joyous about something, so am I, you yeah. know, and, and we get to celebrate in those things together. Yep. It's a great point, Doug. Let's move on to the second section here called The Eyes of Your Heart, um, coming out of Ephesians, uh, verses 16 through 19. I'll read them real quick. Mm. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seen him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Yeah. Comma, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, right. so like one <laughs> I thing have to, to cut note, it off because Paul keeps yeah, going. <laughs> it's one, it's one long sentence. So yeah. like there's, per, we purpose, we kind of had to do like overlap in these sections. So you're going to be yeah. reading verses more than once because yeah, it's just it's a big run on sentence yeah, yeah, from yeah. Paul here. So we have to grab them yeah. verse at a time. Yep. Yeah. So a couple questions here, Doug. Um, question number four, what are some things you notice about how Paul prays for people? How does this compare to the way that you pray for people? So this is an application question, right? How's Paul praying? Yeah. How do we pray? Question number five, how, what does Paul mean by the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him? And what is the hope to which God has called us, right? In verses 17 and 18. Why should Christians have more than just a surface level understanding of these things? And I'll go ahead and read the third question here too. Consider that the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints actually refers to the church as God's inheritance uh, and not really the other way around as we kind of understand it. What implications does that have for us as the people of God? So, hmm. All right, Doug, take us out of here. Stuff there. So, okay. So first thing I think is is like very, very, very I mean, I think it's all very, very important, but it's very, very applicationally <laughs> relevant is this idea of how Paul is praying here. So, like, the way that I kind of think of it is, like, uh, it's not wrong to pray for people's physical needs. Most of the prayer requests we share with one another, you know, they, they tend to gravitate towards that. Sure. So-and-so is sick. So-and-so is it has financial needs or, or whatever, you know, and, and th- that's what we pray for. Uh, having an operation, I'll be praying for you, right? Um, but if you look at the way that Paul consistently prays for people, or just people in the Bible, like especially in the New Testament in general, like um, it's 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 people's spiritual needs that are lifted up, right? Okay, so and in fact, like the the physical needs kind of just serve as a context in which those things are getting worked out in life. Mm. So, like if I'm sick, right? Like that's something that is a situation, and uh, you know, should try to deal with it as much as possible. Should you know, try to get better if I can. But in my being sick, God is doing something. God is, right? or in me having a financial need, God is doing something. Mm. He's opening up, um, <clears throat> you know, 
So like uh, if I have financial need and a brother and sister in Christ comes along to help me, right? What is that done? That's just put in the glue that, yes, that's helped me out, but that's put in some glue of love into the church now. And now there's a stronger relationship between a brother and sister in Christ, right? Faith gets strengthened. Yes. And faith gets strengthened. Trust gets strengthened, stuff Mm. like that. So I guess what I'm saying here is that, um, is that Paul is especially, in fact, here I'd say exclusively concerned about the spiritual well-being of them, right? That that what he wants them to know is the hope to which they're called. He wants the, them to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God. He wants them to have a grasp of what God's glorious inheritance is, the saints, and all kinds of stuff like that. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that he wants for them. He's not like, hey, I heard that Barbara uh, is you know out of work. So sure. I'm praying for her and I'm praying for her, which would not be wrong. I know right. I'm not trying to poo-poo that, but I am trying to say, I, you know, that that like when we do pray for one another, how much of our prayer is dedicated towards things that are the context for what God is doing and how much of it is directed towards what God is actually doing in a mm. person's life in terms of their faith. When I was in college, I remember... Um, I forget where I learned this, but somebody talked to me about what they called the veneer of prayer, right? Mm. In the sense that like, okay, we're going to pray together. So let's pray. I'm going to offer a prayer request and I'm going to pray for this, 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 this. And, and because, you know, sometimes, especially for leaders that are leading a group, you know, sometimes we go around in the circle and it's like, is there anything we can pray for? It's like, can you pray for my great aunt Martha's sister's best friend's cat? You know what I mean? Cause I, I want to be praying for something or someone. And one of the ways that you can kind of get through that a little bit, and, you know, Doug, to your point, it's like, I don't know, the first thing that jumped into my mind is like my knee. My knee's mm-hmm. bothering me, right? Mm-hmm. I got to go to the doctor tomorrow. I got to see what's going on with it. I'm probably going to need an MRI, maybe surgery. And I'll probably ask my community group to pray for this tonight. You know, obviously, I'd love to be, you know, healed yeah. in whatever fashion, whether that means surgery or maybe a couple weeks off. But more importantly, like the gym that I go to, the MMA gym that I go to is a huge mission field for Mm -hmm. me. You know what I mean? It's it's a place where I've seen God work where a a number of the guys I've had phenomenal conversations with and they've been coming out to emergence. I really would love to get back to the gym as quickly as I can. (laughs) You know what I mean? And for the sake of mission there, you know, whatever happens with my needs, you know, I'm praying kind of that, that, that mission field will continue to go forward. And however, God's got that planned, you know, for example. Yeah. And one rule I always establish with my group is if you're going to pray for somebody else, Mm -hmm. you must also pray for how God's calling you to be involved in that, in that situation. So if my aunt is sick, for instance, and I want to pray for her, I would also pray that I would be a good example of Christ in her life for whatever reason. Mm. If she knows the Lord, if she doesn't know the Lord, if she needs help or if she needs support or if I can make her a meal or whatever. Obviously, if I'm the one that's bringing the prayer request, God's got me in this person's life for a reason. Mm. And whatever reason that is, I want to participate in that. And so that's just the rule of thumb I use in my own group. Like if you're going to pray for somebody, pray also for how God's calling you to minister to them yeah. in whatever form or fashion. That's, the, yeah, that's very outward focused. Veneer the, of yeah, prayer. The veneer of prayer. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't remember where it came from. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some of the terms that Paul's using here, Doug. So what does Paul mean by the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him? And what is the hope, right, to which God's called us? Uh, these two things in verses 17 and 18. Yeah. Um, this is not a trick question, by the yeah. way. Like, there's nothing, like, super hidden. This is more, you know, it's – and it's – it's. so I, so first off, um, there's a little bit of a question here. And this is more of a leader, leader-y kind of thing. 
as to whether as to what Paul means by spirit here, because it could be some commentators do think it's like this. My spirit would be wise and characterized by revelation or whatever, okay. as opposed to the Holy Spirit that gives wisdom. So I guess a way you could think of it is his spirit, capital S or lowercase s. Sure. And no, the Greek does not distinguish between, does not mark off the Holy Spirit by capitalizing S's. Or, or uh, Doug's, P, Doug's poking at me because every time, you can tell who's writing questions because I capitalize <laughs> him and God yeah. and oh, Lord yeah, yeah, and Spirit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I go by the it. standard SBL. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah. So that's that's like a, so that that is a live question. But I do think it's right to take it as the Holy Spirit. So capital S, which we like, and which um, I've in- indicated for you. You on the indicate leaders. you <laughs> indicate for that. Well, I typically capitalize Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm not that consistent. But so that's, you're coming to the light. I'm side. coming to the light. Yeah, I don't mm. know. If, yeah. All right. So <laughs> um, I. I <laughs> Um, and the reason being that uh, it's the it's not so much the wisdom but the revelation which seems to be the giveaway right that like the that the um, that seems to be more in line with something the Holy Spirit brings than something that is just understanding of God's word yeah, right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so now wisdom is practical everyday living knowledge mm. uh, is a, is a helpful way to think of it mm. uh, how to be wise towards one another living in wisdom also towards outsiders okay so just living as uh, I guess you could say cunning the the, the cunning as serpents <laughs> but wise as doves kind of thing right proverbs type um, right? proverbs like type practical thing. everyday yeah. living like here's how we should generally govern ourselves yep yeah. yep. Uh, and the hope to which he's called it. Fun fact. <laughs> oh, what? So, fun fact: the first individual to be called cunning in the Bible is the serpent. I was going to say it's Arum. That's the Hebrew for it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and in Proverbs, that same adjective is a good thing. Huh. It's good to be Arum because hmm. you're cunning, you're crafty, you're. I like to paraphrase it streetwise. Okay. And so. Like is that like the same word used in Luke sixteen when he calls the manager shrewd? Uh, no, because that's I don't know what the so that's Greek, right? So I'm talking mm. about a Hebrew term. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure what the it could be. I I don't know if that's the Greek term that the Septuagint translators use. Yeah, Luke sixteen is always crazy, but I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, no, I probably won't. I'll probably forget about it. So here I am lying on the podcast. I'll look at that as soon as I can. Get it. Um. <laughs> But uh, where where was I going with that? So okay, so the idea is that it's uh, it's a it like uh, craftiness, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, depends on your intentions. Sure. So if your intention is to plunge humanity into sin, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> if you're being crafty, I guess, in terms of how you communicate the gospel to somebody, yeah, by that's, trying to that's understand a good thing. Yeah, where they're coming from, yes, yes, that would be a good thing. So that's wisdom. Revelation is you know the the things are unknown and they become known. It doesn't, I don't think it has the real technical meaning that we typically give it. Like, so I, I don't think what this is saying is that like, you know, people are speaking, you know, extra biblical. prophecy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Although prophecy is a thing in the, in, you know, in the church, right? Sure. It's a, so it's not, but I just don't think that that's what this means. I yeah. think Normally we hear the word revelation and we're thinking, like you said, extra biblical yeah. in terms of like, it's not in scripture. God's revealing some kind of hidden knowledge or something like that. And yeah. then I go write a book about it. It's often paired with the concept of a mystery, right? Sure. That thing's yeah. a mystery and mystery is something he does talk about in this, mm-hmm. in this book in Ephesians. Uh, whereas like, so the mystery is a thing revealed, 
uh, the thing that's hidden, and the and when it becomes known, it's revealed. Mm. Okay, so, so the same word is uh, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave his his uh, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Mm. Same thing, revelation. Mm. Right, I'm making known the Messiah. What is has case. been hidden? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, um, now, what about the hope to which he's called us? So, um, the hope, uh, of course, is uh, the. I think by its very nature is something that is future. Mm. Again, I go to Romans eight, what he says, where he's like, "Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Right. Mm. So, like, hope that is seen is not hope, mm. right? And so, so the idea is that like hope by its very nature is something that is not here yet, and so. How, how do I understand what is mine in Christ? Do I just have the vague notion of like uh, going to heaven, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Or do I have a more robust understanding of what exactly that entails? What's so good about going to heaven? Yeah. Is it only going to be good for people who like uh, K-Love because we're singing, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're singing Casting Crowns all day? Like. No, the good, right? Like the good thing about about being with the Lord forever is that you're with the Lord forever, right. and you know. So just knowing as much, and and not to mention having a robust idea of what the what's entailed in the resurrection, mm-hmm. um, and and all things like that. So just having a richer understanding, and that, and so the, then the question: Why should Christians have more than just a surface level understanding of these things? Because this is what defines who we are as Christians, right? right? And so if I just have very vague notions and don't know a lot about wisdom, about the things that have been hidden in the past that God has now revealed, Mm -hmm. or about the hope that I have, then like, I'm not going to be living as effectively for the Lord as I would if I did have a a strong knowledge of those things. Um, Nor are you you living your life to the full, right? As Jesus calls us to. Because like, if I, legitimately, if you know, I want to be careful how I say this because if all I understand is the gospel, that's enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? But as you come to know Jesus and see exactly what you're being adopt- adopted into and, and you see his inheritance and the things he calls us to in, in the heavenly places and eternity with Christ, like there's so much to hope in, right? hope for and to, and to have faith in, you know, um, which is really, really exciting. And like without that, you know, it's almost like the non-Christian notion of like, oh, so I just got to follow a bunch of rules and I can't have any fun. Yeah. It's like, no. That's... For some am- unambiguous re- for some ambiguous reason why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So we're... Uh, that's it. It's question six there. We're definitely going to want to. Yeah. Now I give, we have a note, note for leaders there. So yeah. uh, I'm just going to give the Cliff Notes version here. So the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints so um, this, is, again, is another one of these debated phrases here in Ephesians. But I think the thing to lean into is like, so first off, who whose inheritance is this? Mm-hmm. It's God. Okay, mm-hmm. And that notion is not entirely foreign to Scripture. In Deuteronomy 32, for example, talks about how the Lord's portion is his people. Mm-hmm. Okay, There he's talking about Israel. Uh, so the idea of the Lord like possessing a people and having that as like, like that's his gift to himself, as we word it crudely here, right? Mm. So, and that's the thing is, you want to say, well, who's who's the subject of his, mm. right? If it was just the glorious inheritance of the saints, you might think that's a different way of saying our hope, mm. but no, it's his inheritance, and so then the in the saints is probably something like his glorious inheritance, inheritance, namely the saints, mm. um, or, or so. In other words. 
Remember how I said that Ephesians is a very churchy book, mm. okay? And how he's planting seeds for that. And part of what he's trying to do, part of the miracle grow he's putting on those seeds, is he wants us to show he wants to show us how precious of a thing the church is. So that later on in the book, when he's telling us to get over our petty divisions <laughs> and to do all this stuff so that the church is strong and can build us, we'll be like, all right, we're on board because we know how valuable it is. Yeah. And knowing that this thing that I am part of and i can either build up or destroy this is god's inheritance mm. so it's almost like like i mean it's almost like like here's this thing and this is god this is god's gift and i and i i could like go over and like scratch it or deface it or something <laughs> take a you sharpie know, to like, probably side. don't want to mess with that thing <laughs> um as you know you know i think it's that kind of idea yeah. going on that's crazy i never knew that so looking at this the first time this week, I, I always just heard that. And it was one of those things that I just kind of glossed over. Like, yeah. like yeah. Jesus's inheritance, of course, we're adopted as sons. And so we share in that inheritance. Mm-hmm. But I never stopped to think, wait a second, that that inheritance is the church. Like yeah. I'm part of that inheritance. Yeah. And, and as such, you know what I mean? Like I should care immensely about this church, yeah. you know, like... I don't want Jesus to inherit a big giant church where we're arguing over politics and vaccines or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. You know what I mean? Notice too, connected to this idea, for example, in Ephesians, what's a popular passage in Ephesians? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hmm. Right. And what did he, by the, by the cleansing with the word and the washing so that he can have a a spotless, perfect bride. Hmm. Right. Same kind of idea that the church is gods here christ right Mm. and 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 he's devoted himself he sacrificed himself in order to have that awesome gift Mm. in order to say i want the very best and guess what you fallen sinners who i'm redeeming you're that very best it's pretty amazing not in the sense that we are in and of ourselves but because god has made us that right yeah that's so amazing Mm -hmm. so question number seven is is a point of application toward this a little bit so what obstacles can sometimes prevent us from seeing the church as beautiful right what are some stains if you will probably don't need suggestions from me yeah (laughs) plenty of things uh and how can we navigate these things in a way that help us see things the way paul sees them it's weirdly worded yeah um uh let me ask question number eight too. Paul also prays that we would see and understand the immeasurable greatness, right? Quote unquote of the power of God at work on his people. Uh, and where have you caught a glimpse of this yourself, whether mm-hmm. that's in your own experience in your life or in someone else's life or yeah, God's uh, just power in your too. life, you know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. Two, two application questions for us. Mm-hmm. So last section here, Christ overall, uh, we'll finish the passage here. Verses 19 through 22. Uh, I'll read them real quick. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So question number nine, what does it mean to say that Jesus is seated at God's right hand, right? Why is that important? And how does it impact the way that we share our faith? Number 10, Paul wraps up this section by calling the church Christ's body, 
and the and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does that mean? And number 11, how should this passage overall impact the way we conduct ourselves within the church? So mm-hmm. two quick questions. Why, Doug, why is it important that Jesus is at God's right hand? And why is Paul calling the church Christ's body uh, mm-hmm. significant as well? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, uh, there's a couple, uh, a couple uh, phrases here that speak of kingship, lordship, and authority. So if you picture God, uh, you know, so uh, <laughs> you picture the father as king, right? Um, the, 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 it's just very Daniel 7 type language, right, where the son of man comes and, and, and assumes his role at, at the ancient of days' right hand. Mm. And, um, and so the idea is that that, that that notes Jesus reigning as Lord. He's mm. reigning with God's authority, the, the, the authority of the Father, we should say, um, uh, and his own authority as God. Um, a similar passage to this is uh, in Ephesians 2, that Christ him, right, where like he humbled himself, became a servant, therefore mm. God has exalted him. And the other thing that he says here, and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, which mm. Paul also says here. Again, this is a, a kingly, lordly title. And I think that may, that does make a real difference in, um, it's, it's worth noting that like a central Christian confession is, and has always been Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And um, perhaps in church these days, I'll go out on a limb and say that that is not emphasized as much as Jesus is my personal savior. Right? Uh, that mm. this idea that like that Christianity is about I'm in trouble with God because of my sin. Jesus died to take care of that. I believe in him. I trust in him by faith through grace. I am saved and hallelujah. What a savior. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's where we often obviously, end the sentence. And but. obviously no objection here. Sure. That's exactly no. right. And you better believe that. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, the one whom you confess as savior is Lord mm. and everything that is happening, he is reigning over. Though we do not see him now, mm. right? This world still groans in, in 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 the travails of childbirth, but all things are under subjection to Christ. They are under his feet, and um, and that's cool because if you look if you look at the language again, remember this very churchy language. Uh, the 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 very churchy book of Ephesians. Okay, so what does God do? He here is Christ, and he's the head of all things. Later, he'll be identified as the head of the church, but he's the head of all things, and all things are under his feet. And who does God give this Christ to? The church mm. here, and um, yeah. So uh, sorry, I'm drawing symbols and images. I, uh, on the yeah, yeah, I see it. <laughs> sorry see to distract you. You're, you. A, you're designing so, a gospel track. Today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to talk about it with my group later. But um, just talking about the lordship of Christ, because a lot of times in Christian circle, at least behind the scenes, I know a lot of times, say somebody new is coming to the church, right? John, right? Mm-hmm. Is John a Christian? Well, I think he's a Christian, but I'm not sure if Jesus is really Lord of his life, right? right? We use vernacular like, like this to try to describe somebody who can see, recognize, and maybe has even accepted uh, Jesus as their savior, but their life doesn't quite reflect a life of somebody who right. actually sees Jesus as Lord. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and at, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, who's in charge of my life? Yeah. You know what I mean? Day in and day, like who, who do I worship? Is it Jesus or is it me? 
and looking at how I live my life every day. You know, is it in worship of me and what I want and my dreams and my future and my aspirations? Or is it the kingdom that, that Christ has called us to yeah. and charges us for to go and achieve? And, ev- and eventually, it might be worth asking the question, if, if somebody who consistently displays a life where Jesus is not reigning as Lord, whether or not that faith is actually genuine. Right. Because there's a sense in which what you do eventually shows what you say to be how true your words are. Mm. Uh, it's akin to love. You can think of faith as akin to love, right? Like, if I say I love my wife, mm. um, and but every night I go home, I get drunk, I beat her, and the next day show up with flowers, but then the day after that, I do it again, mm. and do it again and again. I might say I love my life, my wife, love my wife, love, but there's going to be a point at which you're going to say, I don't know if you really love your wife, right? right? Same kind of thing. I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. I confess Jesus is Lord, but nothing in your life reflects that mm. eventually. And James talks about this a lot yeah. in, in, I think, James 2. Mm-hmm. Or James one, uh, yeah. Well, the the faith without works is dead. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. Yeah, and, and James this is one. James James two. It is James two. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and not only that, but Paul actually does this one better than that than mm. what's going on here, right? Because he's not merely saying, you know, God made Jesus Lord of your lives. Mm. He's like God made Jesus Lord of every single thing in creation. Yeah. Like, there's no right. A far above rule and author- all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. Like these are Paul's got these fabulous ways of saying like there is no there's nothing king. left out yeah. of this right. Yeah. Neither death nor life nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. Right. So like mm. he's like. He's got, and here is one of these ways of saying: there's nothing that's not in, under, that's not subject to Jesus's lordship. And whether or not you really believe that really affects mm. if you're, you know, your navigation of this life and the wisdom and knowledge of Him. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, now, what about what about when Paul's calling the church Jesus's body or Christ's body? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think when you say the, the body of Christ. Um, uh, the, obviously, the, the strongest uh, uh, explanation of that metaphor is going to be in Romans 13, mm. uh, I believe, or it's, it might be at the end of chapter 12. But look it up. It's where he says we're members of one another. Mm. Um, and Corinthians uh, too goes into this. Yeah, First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this a lot. Where we're each different body parts, and different body parts have different roles to play, mm-hmm. and none is greater than another. Mm-hmm. Right? It's they're they're all necessary. Interworking. And, yeah, like yeah. a body. Like right? I like the mm. thing is, if Jesus is my Lord, I want to live like He's made me to live. I don't want to mm. say like, no, I I want to be an eye or I want to be a foot or something like that, you know. And mm. um, and I think and everybody feels that pull. Um, but the idea is that there's different parts of the body of Christ that are all for different purposes. Um, not only that, but I also um, I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here because I'm not sure if I have a lot of. Bible passages that would really back this up. But I think also involved in this is that Jesus's physical presence is no longer in this world. His quote unquote body is no longer in this world. Okay. And so by us being his body, we are the physical presence of Christ here. Oh. Again, I'm not sure I know of any Bible passages that really tease that out in that direction, mm. but I suspect that that might be behind some of the language, mm. but that's me getting a little creative of it it could uh, analogous at least yeah 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 
Yeah, I think, yeah, it, it certainly is true, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not like... Um, it's a little bit, so it's funny, it's the first like, passage that popped up in my head is like... the body, <laughs> on his arms reaching. It reminds me a little bit of Matthew where, you know, if when he's talking about discipline and things, yeah. you know, go with another brother and we're two more gathered there, I am with you also. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of the, the heart that, like, the church is Christ's body. Yeah. And so there, that's... That is the practical working out of Jesus here today. Like, what is the greatest hope that anybody on this earth that doesn't know Jesus could have is that they meet Christ. Mm -hmm. And we are that body. We are the hands and feet of Christ. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Carrying that mission forward. So, yeah. And then now the, 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 the other phrase here, he also calls, calls the church the fullness of him who fills all in all. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. But again, he's this is another like like what we said with his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is one of those places where like if you could just fly over it if you're just reading the passage, but if you really have to set yourself to figuring out what all the what the phrases mean, mm. like you have to grapple with the language of this mm. and be like, oh, what does Paul actually say here? And what he actually says is he calls the church the fullness of him who fills all in all. Mm. And uh, and, you know, I think the way that the, the, the fullness is basically, uh, Paul's, uh, this is kind of like a, a, a 50 cent term in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, like a 50 cent. Yeah. Term. Meaning it's a, it's a big money term. It's, it, this is like one of the key words. Okay. Play Roma, this, this fullness. And, um, I think, I don't think it's like that hard to get the basic your head around the basic idea which is basically just like the 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 full expression of what god is doing like you want to know about god here is this and if you know this you know god Mm -hmm. and the church is that the Hmm. church is uh you know you want to know like what god is up to look at the church Hmm. that's what he's up to and Huge responsibility for us. Huge responsibility, warts and all, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pray that we would love one another well, that we would live up to this calling. Because, I mean, like, think about it. Like, as we walk day in and day out, we are the representation of Jesus uh, to those that don't know him. And uh, just pray this week that we would do that well, that we would really reflect Jesus well, the love and care that he would bestow upon those whom he's called. Um, that we would love one another well as you know, as we walk together as the church, that mm-hmm. we'd understand our priority toward one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and then also this week, pray using kind of the language of this passage too. I, I love this charge from you this week, Doug. Yeah. Let's use the actual language of this passage to pray uh, this week, which would be really cool. And, uh, and then last week is our final week of communities. Uh, we're wrapping up. We'll continue on in Ephesians. I'm but glad that you said that because why? in two weeks I'd probably be sitting down to write a study guide. <laughs> <laughs> well, for all of us, next week's the last one. And Doug, right. uh, we'll, see if, you're, we'll okay. see if you're up early in the morning on, on yeah. Sunday yeah. writing questions. But um, yeah, next week's our last. Good timing for me, man, because I think baby's on the way. Like a nice. couple days here, man. Baby Hauser. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. I wonder. Uh, no, let me not put any pressure on my wife. But it'd be cool if the last if the last podcast I was like, "Hey, we had a kid." <laughs> but you guys might have to wait till next season. Yeah, or it might just be me here alone. Realistically, <laughs> hi. Yeah, how you doing? Alex is changing diapers. You want to tell your Star Wars joke? Uh, Come on, is it tell it. It's kind of inappropriate, don't you think? 
Oh, it could be. It's not inappropriate because it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate, maybe. It's not politically correct. It's not a political. So if you want to hear an awesome Star Wars joke, shoot Doug an email. Shoot me an email. I thought it was funny. You yeah. really have to like Star Wars, though, to understand it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the deep knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> the deep cuts. That's right. <laughs> All right, you guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.